Hi, everybody. Welcome to Your Move, where we help you make better decisions and live with fewer regrets. I'm Andy Stanley, and I'll be your guide. If you're in the middle of a relational challenge right now, and you're wondering if things will ever be normal again, well, maybe not. But there is a win, even when normal seems out of reach. And that's what we're talking about today, right here on Your Move. So stick around. So as we've um, said throughout this series that repairing a broken or disrupted or awkward or damaged relationship, um, it's not easy. Um, and oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes we, we actually want to. I mean, if we could just push a button and the relationship was fixed or the relationship was better, um, we would. Um, and even if we don't really want to, oftentimes we know we ought to want to. You ever ought to want to. It's like, you know, if you ever pray and say, God, I, I know what I should ask you for, but I don't, but I don't really think that's what I want. So I want to want to what I, what I want to want to want. So when it comes to relationships, we want them to be fixed, or at least we know we ought to want them to be fixed, but it's just so difficult. And one of the reasons it's so difficult is honestly, we just don't know how to. So want to is one thing, but how to is something else. And it's not intuitive. As we said throughout the series, series um, we, we think, we, you know, it's intuitive, but re repairing a broken relationship is not intuitive. And part of the reason it's not is because repairing a broken relationship requires something that does not come natural to any of us. It requires humility. And we are born, we come into the world anti, you know, resisting humility, putting somebody else first, you know, making ourselves small, going to that smaller place. So because it kind of resists, you know, our nature resists it, and we don't know how to do it. Oftentimes those relationships, they just kind of dangle out there in this sense of awkwardness. And for some of you, your strained or broken relationship is somebody you don't see very often, so it's not front of mind. In fact, if you've been tracking with us in this series, you're kind of looking forward to it being over so you can put them back over in that box where you've kept them for years until I started talking about it. And suddenly you find yourself thinking about them and your mom or your husband or your wife or a friend is like, hey, maybe you're like, and like nope, 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 we just, we just, Resist it. And the other reason this is so difficult is since it's not intuitive, um, and a lot of us have never even seen this modeled well, it, it's something we have to learn. It's a learned skill, which means somebody has to learn us, right? Teach us how to do it. And uh, hopefully this series has given you some handles or some steps in doing that. But again, the series, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just a series. There's, there's so much more to it. But ideally seeing this modeled is so helpful because as you know, some things are really more caught than taught. So if you're a parent or you're a grandparent, okay? And I, this isn't gonna be like a message on parenting, but I just wanna say something about this. One of the best things we can do is teach our kids how to repair a damaged relationship. And one of the best things you can do in this regard, and I'm gonna move on, is if you have ever done this successfully or you have ever tried and failed in this, you should share those epic stories with your kids. So again, they're not only gonna watch you try at home, but they're gonna hear how it worked out, how it didn't work out, what you wish you had done. So don't hide those things from your kids. It's so important that we model and we teach it um, for our kids. And I'll tell you, again, I'm gonna move on. I'm gonna tell you where to start with your children. It all begins with a personal pronoun. You remember those? The personal pronouns. In fact, um, you might need a lesson in this particular personal pronoun. Let me, let me explain. So when we have three kids and when they're all 20 months apart by accident or providence, but anyway, they're pretty close together. And um, so when one would do something offensive to the other or hurt the other's feelings or just be, you know, cruel to the other, we would do it. Every parent 
does, we'd say, okay, you know, apologize to your brother, apologize to your brother. And the, the apology would be so heartfelt, it would bring us to tears. It would go like this, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Anybody ever heard the one word apology, just sorry, you know? And Sandra and I are like, we're such good parents. Listen, we're just, just have a group hug, have a prayer, you know? And we're like, no, we would not let them get by with that. We're like, nope. You gotta add the personal pronoun. And this is the first lesson in humility. It's I'm sorry. And we would literally make our children look brother and sister in the eye and add the I'm. I'm sorry. This is the early lesson in humility. This is where it all begins. It begins with owning what we've done, owning our slice of the pie. Now, um, somewhere around middle school, you know, it, it changed a little bit and went more like this, you know, tell your brother you're sorry. Brother, you're sorry, right? <laughs> Which is the point, okay? This is not intuitive and it bumps up against our stubbornness and you know, that thing in us that never wants to be wrong. Now, throughout this, this series, there's been a disclaimer and I wanna say it one more time because this is so important. When it comes to reestablishing or repairing or reassembling an adult relationship, the goal is not reconciliation. The goal is no regrets. This is so important. If the goal is reconciliation, that means you are moving toward this person with an agenda. And an agenda in a relationship is like a third party in the relationship. I mean, when somebody has an agenda for you, do you draw closer? Do you kind of sit back as far as you can in the booth? Like how long is, you know, is this gonna last, right? So the agenda, the agenda from our perspective is not reconciliation. Again, we don't control all the parts. We don't hold all the cards. Our agenda is we just want there to be as far as we can control it and to the degree we control it, no regrets. We wanna know that we did everything we could and we are, gonna, we are gonna continue to do everything we can. We did everything we could and we're continuing to do everything we can because reconciliation is a process, but also reconciliation is a posture. It's dynamic. It's ongoing because it's relational. And the win, the win is to go to bed every night and know, you know what, to the best of my ability, I have an open door policy, assuming that's a safe person. We're gonna come back to that in a minute. Now, the apostle Paul gives us a, a theme verse. He says, if, he's, so, he's such a realist. If it is possible, because again, you're not holding all the cards. I mean, this isn't like a broken plate. I can get all the pieces and glue them back together. I mean, there's another person involved. I mean, you don't have access to all the pieces. He says, if it, is, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, in other words, the parts that you have control over. And in the Greek, this carries the idea of if you've got it in you, it's kind of a challenge. If you've got the grit, if you've got the determination, if you're ready for this, be at peace with everyone. The New, your English New Testament says, live at peace with everyone. But that sounds kind of like both people are involved. You have no control over that. The Greek text really kind of indicates be at peace. In other words, you do everything you can do. I do everything I can do to remove any obstacle to reconciliation, which doesn't guarantee reconciliation because the other person has to be involved. But my responsibility is to remove every obstacle I can because reassembly, you know this, it begins with us, it begins with us, regardless of who initiated the fuss. Now, we've said throughout the series, and uh, reassembling a relationship requires four decisions on our part. We've talked about two, I'll, re I'll review the first two real quick, and then we're gonna jump into number three and four. The first decision was simply this, I will get back to, not get back at. 
I will get back to, not get back at. I am taking retribution off the table. There is no payback. This is get back to. If you're a Jesus follower, then we are to do for others what God through Christ has done for us. And do you know what he did for us? Well, interestingly enough, the, the verse after the most famous verse in the Bible tells us, the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. the next verse says this, listen to this, for God, he's talking about Jesus. He said, for God did not send Jesus, did not send his son into the world to get back at us, but to get back to us. For God didn't send Jesus in the world to pay us back, but to get back. He did not send him into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He, he came to rescue us in spite of our behavior. He came to rescue and establish a relationship in spite of the fact that we've been resisting the relationship all along. And then Jesus comes along and he says, follow me. Don't just believe in me, I want you to follow me. And I want you to follow my example. The, again, the apostle Paul, after he explains to this group of Gentile uh, new believers, all that God went through to create their, the possibility for their salvation, he says this, and this, is, this goes right to the point of this first decision. He says, all this, talking about the process of having a relationship with God, all this is from God, here's our word, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and then he gave us the assignment of reconciliation. And English text says the ministry of reconciliation, but ministry is such a churchy word. And the Greek term here existed long before there was a church. It really means the assignment or the opportunity to serve. He says, we've been given the assignment or we're supposed to provide the service of reconciliation. He did, we're to do for others what he did for us. And then Paul finishes with this, it's so amazing. That God was reconciling the world to himself. God was doing everything he could to remove all the obstacles. That's why he sent Christ in Christ. And then this part, not counting people's sins against them. Because God knew what we know that's easy to forget and that we want to forget. That if I'm gonna reconcile with you, at some point along the way, I have to quit counting your sin against you. I've got to take whatever you did to me and I've got to get it out of the equation or we are never going to reconcile. And again, if you're not a religious person, not a Christian, I mean, take the pieces and parts that you want. I have no, I can't say you need to do anything. I don't have any authority over you. You know, nobody left me in charge of your life. But if we're going to take what the apostle Paul said seriously, if we're going to take what Jesus said seriously, we have been reconciled to God. That's the essence of our message. That's what it means to be a Jesus follower and a Christian. And if that is the essence of our message, if we've been given the message of reconciliation, how in the world do we carry that message into our world if we refuse to reconcile with the people around us? It, it takes us back to what Jesus said last week. Remember last week, he, not me, I wouldn't do it. He looked at us all, he said, if you don't do this, you're just hypocrites. You're just hypocrites. You're taking advantage of what God has done on your behalf and you are not willing to do that? for the people around you. Second decision we've talked about is this one. This was last time, I won't spend much time on it. We will, I will own my slice of the blame pie. I will own my slice of the blame pie. And I'm gonna look in the mirror and I'm gonna take the pie out of my eye. And there may not be much pie in my eye, but before I try to get the pie out of your eye, I'm gonna take the pie out of my eye. I'm gonna remove the plank. And remember this, I'm gonna remove the plank, not so I'll be a better person, not so I'll be a healthier person. I'm gonna remove, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna focus on what my role in disrupting this relationship was. And I'm gonna remove it 
so I can see more clearly how to move toward and reconcile with you. Our third decision and our fourth decision today are things I've talked about throughout the series. I've kind of left some breadcrumbs along the way. I've, I've sort of sown this idea throughout the series, but I've not asked you to commit to it. So today, I'm gonna to take something we talked about before and I'm gonna turn it into a decision that I'm gonna challenge you to make. The third decision is this. I will make the first move regardless of who moved away first. I will make the first move toward reconciliation regardless of who moved away first. And humanly speaking, the reason you're going to do this is because the most mature person in the relationship should take responsibility for the relationship, right? And I know you, you are the most mature person in the relationship, isn't that correct? I mean, when you tell your story about the things that he or she did, when you tell that story to other people, clearly you come off looking like the more mature person because they, what they did was terrible. What you did was, you know, you were just responding to something terrible and you know, your part was so small. When you rehearse the narrative about what happened to this relationship in your mind, aren't you the most mature person? Yeah, I mean, when I rehearse these things, not only am I the most mature person, there's a crowd, you know, in my mind, and I'm like talking to this person and I'm kind of giving them what for, explaining my side and there's a crowd and they're going, you're right, Andy, you're right, Andy, you're right. And then they all applaud and I walk off and they look at this person like, you really, I mean, he's right, you know? Because I, you know, I'm right, you're right. So if you're right, if I'm right, if it's mostly them, well then we're the most mature people in the room. And the most mature people should initiate reconciliation. That's humanly speaking. But there's another reason. In fact, this is, this is so amazing to me. Jesus' most inconvenient command, not his most extreme command, but his, especially within the context of the first century, it's so inconvenient and it's so tied to first century Judean culture, it, it, it doesn't even, you know, it doesn't even leave a mark on us. Here, here's what he said, he was teaching. He said, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and he's already lost us, it's like, whatever, what is, I don't know what he's talking about, right? Here, here's what he's talking about. He's, he's referring to this extraordinarily inconvenient trek to Jerusalem through the narrow streets of Jerusalem to the temple up the Southern stairs to get in line to offer a gift at the altar. Now you may live in Jerusalem, but still it's a, it's a, it's a journey, right? And you gotta take time off of work and you're dragging the kids and it's hot as, it's just really hot there if you've ever been there, right? And you know, the kids are crying and you know, it's just, it's just a mess and there's no fast pass. I know, it's amazing. He says, so this is that day, you decide you're gonna go, you know, give your, make an, a sacrifice at the altar. And Jesus is very specific here. So again, it's something we miss. He's not talking about making a sacrifice for sin. This isn't like, oh, I've done some horrible thing. So I'm gonna sacrifice an animal and ask God to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of my sin. This is not that. He's very specific. This is a gift. This isn't an I owe God, an apology. This is a gift. This is someone who's just grateful. This is someone for whom God answered a prayer. So he says, okay, so, you know, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and when you get there, you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, and Jesus is so brilliant. He is intentionally ambiguous. He doesn't say what it is. He doesn't even say whose fault it is. He says, if you get there, or as you're arriving there, or maybe you found your place in line, and suddenly you remember there's a, there's a you know, an interrupted conversation. There, there's an unresolved conflict. Well, you know, the way we think, the way Jesus' audience think, thought was this. Well, 
Um, no problem, you know, I'll, I'll deal with that later. I'm gonna stand in line, I'm gonna make my gift to God, get, you know, let God know how grateful I am. Then, you know, when I go home, I'll deal with that. To their shock and awe, he says, when that situation comes to mind, I want you to leave your gift there in front of the altar. <laughs> wait, wait, did he say grieve? But he didn't say leave, did he say grieve? I think he said, wait, wait, what, you want us to leave it? Wait, like we're already there at the altar. Like we have, you know, we've been in, it's been days, maybe it's been hours, maybe, you know, it's been a while. And we're finally all the way to the place where we're one, two, three, four, we're seventh in line, honey. Just, just, seven, just seven more people, we're almost there. And then I remember this thing back at home and I'm supposed to just leave my gift there. I mean, if I leave it there, when I get back, it may not be there. When I get back, it may have wandered away. What do you mean just leave it there? And Jesus says, yeah. Because the reason you're shocked, the reason you're dismayed, the reason this is so inconvenient is because you have things out of order. You're still thinking like a religious person. You're still thinking like an internalized religious person. First, first, as in of first importance, as in more important than what you came to do, go and be reconciled to them. Here's what they heard. Wait, Jesus, wait, Jesus, Jesus. Wait, you, you want me to put them before God? And Jesus would say, no, this is how you put God first. This is how you put God first, by reconciling with those whom God loves. You put invisible God first by reconciling with your visible brother, brother-in-law, sister, that neighbor, the guy at work, the lady at work, and it wasn't a big deal, but you can tell, you know, what you said wasn't, and he says, yeah, if you, wanna, if you wanna be right with God, you just get right and stay right with the people God loves. You put invisible God first by reconciling with the people around you, and then if you want brownie points, you put God first by reconciling with your enemy. I mean, this was a complete category scramble for them, as it is for many of us. He said, oh, don't wanna leave you hanging. And then once you've done that, come back, maybe somebody will hold your place in line, maybe they won't. And then you come and you offer your gift. To which we say in our modern world, okay, okay, wait, 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 wait. Can't we just forgive them in our heads and believe in you in our heads? Can't we, can't we just kind of keep this all in our minds? Can't we just, I have forgiven them. I'm not gonna have anything to do with them. I'm certainly not gonna reach out, but I have forgiven them. So I forgave them in my mind and I believe in you in my heart. Isn't that enough? To which Jesus would say throughout the gospels. Well, if you wanna be a believer, but not if you wanna be a follower and heads up, believers didn't change the world. Believers didn't shape Western civilization. It wasn't people who believed things that captured the imagination and the fascination of the Roman empire. It was the followers. So if you're gonna follow me, that means you have to do what I did. Internalized religion lets us off the hook, doesn't it? Read the gospels. Neither Jesus nor his brother James, read his letter, had anything good to say about that approach to God. Jesus is actually inviting us. This is what's so powerful. He's actually inviting us to a better way of living that makes the world a better place to live. 
And then the fourth decision, again, we've talked about it all along. I've just not challenged you to decide. The fourth one is simply this. I will, in fact, keep the door open and the welcome mat out. I'm deciding. I know it's the right thing to do. I've, you know, I've, I've thought about it. You know, it's difficult, but you know what? Have you decided? And when this person comes to mind or this group of people, have you decided? I'm deciding. I'm gonna keep the door open and I'm gonna keep the welcome mat out. Now, to be clear, I don't ever recommend, and nobody in their right mind would ever recommend you try to reconcile with someone who is unsafe physically or emotionally. But those people aside, this is an extraordinarily important decision for several reasons. Number one, this has to be a daily decision for some of us as it relates to some people because the hits just keep on coming, don't they? Every Thanksgiving, here it is again. Every Christmas, here it is again. Every time the family gets together, here it is again. Every time we say we're gonna do A, then you know, suddenly, I mean, it just keeps on coming, which means there are people perhaps in your life where this is a constant thing. Something's always happening. Something's always changing. They're always stirring the pot. They're always making it worse. They're always making it you know, bad. And there's something in you and there's something in me that's like, you know what? Okay, I've had enough. I'm gonna cross my arms. I tried, I don't care. They're out and I've done everything I can do. And I, I just don't have it in me to do anything else. And that's when we remember the goal isn't to fix them and the goal isn't to fix it. The goal is no regrets. And this will reduce your regret. This will potentially keep you healthy. This will pretty much ensure there's no bitterness buildup. This decision, as we talked about last time, keeps the hurt connected to its actual source. It makes it difficult to transfer the hurt from one relationship to another, but the moment you close the door, the moment you roll up the welcome mat, the moment you say never ever again, you're out. And there's still that angst and that energy and that stuff, it's gonna go somewhere. And chances are it's gonna go with you to another relationship. So if I could you know, pry for just a minute, I wanna ask those of you who are married an emotional question. Is it possible? I'm no counselor. Is it possible that your father or your mother is haunting your marriage? Is it possible that your father or your mother is haunting? What do I mean by haunting? I mean, their presence and the angst of what happened in the past, it just, it just sits there, it infiltrates. It, it, it causes you to overreact or underreact. You go ballistic or you just shut down. And you're not even sure why, because you look at the details of the situation or the argument and you're like, you know what, I don't think this, you know, created that. But if anybody else brings it up, oh, pity the fool, right? Because you got hurt and you, I mean, and anybody in your city, it's genuine hurt. I mean, you have every reason in the world to be angry and hurt. And somewhere along the way you decided that you didn't care. And when you decided you didn't care, you rolled up the welcome mat and you shut the door. And consequently, you didn't mean to do this. You became a carrier. Because when core relationships break, something in us breaks as well. And most of the time we really don't know what to do, especially when we were young. And then we do the wrong things and perhaps make things worse, but 
now you know. And the reason I wanted to focus this on that is I want to challenge you to decide. Would you decide? No regrets. No regrets. I'm not going to get to the end. I'm not going to get to a funeral and wish I could go back. I'm not doing that. I'm not, that's not going to be my story. You got to decide. That's not going to be my story. No regrets. I will get back to. I am not going to get back at. I will own my slice of the blame pie. It is so tiny, it is so insignificant, but you know what? I wanna see that relationship clearly. And if there's anything in my eye keeping me from seeing clearly, I want it out. And I'm gonna make the first move, even though I'm not the one that created the mess. I'm gonna make the first move even though I'm not the one that moved away, relationally speaking. And I'm gonna keep that door open and I'm gonna keep that welcome mat out. And when I think it's too much, and when I think I've stretched as far as I can stretch, and when everything in me wants to close that door, I'm gonna remember what my Father in heaven through Christ did for me. He does not count my sins against me in my relationship with him. So by his grace, I'm gonna do for him, I'm gonna do for her, and I'm gonna do for them what through Christ my heavenly Father did for me. I'm gonna keep the door open, no regret. Now, I wanna take kind of a hard right turn for a minute. And I wanna say something to those of you who are not Christians, you're not Jesus followers, um, not religious, maybe a different religion, um, used to be, um, walked away from it. I wanna end by extending an invitation directly to you. And the reason I want to extend this invitation specifically to those of you who might fall into that category is this. Often, not always, but often, a broken relationship is the catalyst for a broken faith. Oftentimes a broken relationship, somewhere in the past or maybe current, maybe a family member, maybe another Christian or a group of Christians or a, bro a break with a relationship with a church. I don't know what your story is. But more often than not, a broken relationship is the catalyst for a broken faith. And I'll be honest, that's difficult to admit because you're smart and you know that those two things really are mutually exclusive, but it felt connected when it happened. And as difficult as it might be for you, it could be that those dots are actually connected because more often than not, they are. So as much as I hope that you'll reconcile with your brother and your sister, and as much as I hope that you'll reconcile with your prodigal son or your prodigal daughter or your prodigal father or that friend next door or that neighbor or that person at work, I wanna urge you and plead with you and invite you to be reconciled to God. And when you're ready, or if you're ever ready, we're here for you. Because as hard as this may be for you to believe, every single one of us, starting with me, we all have a be reconciled to God story of our own. So I invite you, stop resisting, stop rehearsing that narrative, look beyond what he did and look beyond what she didn't do. And would you please 
be reconciled to God. So thanks for listening. But before you go, I wanted to take a minute to thank everyone who supports Your Move financially. It's the generosity of our listeners that makes this podcast possible. So if you have found this content helpful, we would like to invite you to make a tax-deductible donation to Your Move. You just visit yourmove.is forward slash give. That's yourmove.is slash give. Thanks for considering and make sure you join us next week on Your Move.